0: That's who. The insider in West Lafayette and the head coaching search presumably is officially on, probably has been on for a while. Tom Deanhart joins us now. All right, hey, Tommy D, I find this kind of interesting. Uh, you sent out that, that text regarding the, the team meeting, and the only thing that got any interest <laughs> out of it, or I should say this, what got the most interest out of it is the usage of except. Yeah. That was it. I, you
2: know, I think we've all had sometimes we type too quick when we're sending out text messages. So yeah, Purdue, uh I went down today, John. You know, uh, that news broke Monday morning about Satterfield leaving and of course everybody goes, Oh, here yep. we go, here we go. Yep. You know, there was this inevitability. It wasn't there for years. It wasn't if, but it was when. When was Jeff Brom gonna go to Louisville? And it really got tiresome, didn't it?
0: It does. I know yeah. the
2: fan base did, so yes. finally they get they get their wish. They can trek back down I-65. I know there's a detour. You can't go right to the city now. They're going to take 465
0: around. But <laughs> you do. Get there. Everybody get does. <laughs> Everybody does. You know, it, it's funny, too, um, when, when I text, and this is one of the reasons why yesterday when that Andrew Luck story came out, I go, you know what? I'm over it. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Part of the reason is every time I ever sent out a tweet regarding Andrew Luck, about fifty percent of the time, for some reason, my phone would always go with Andrew Lick. So <laughs> it'd be Andrew Lick every time, and then whatever I said about Andrew Luck was completely lost because I just tweeted out yeah. Andrew Lick. So
2: everybody um, focuses on, on that. People love people love mistakes. People I call it the gotcha crowd. They just seem like they get
0: off. Well, I will it. tell you this. I I was under the impression that that was brahm type there so i think a lot of people probably think it was brahm type so i think you kind of skate away without even having to worry about the usage part of it so you're all good
2: but yeah the uh so yeah you know here here, here goes mike bobinski right uh and he, he said i've had a short list of candidates for years right he knew this day was coming no doubt and i'm sure he's already started to vet people but i'll tell you what john first matter of business for purdue is Getting to this bowl game because I was talking to some people on staff today, and a lot of these coaches are leaving ASAP for Derby City, my friend. Last guy out of the Coatesville Football Complex, turn out the lights.
0: Like what? What numbers are we talking about here? Yeah,
2: I think, I think most of the offensive staff is going now. I think it's going to go. I think Brian, I reported moments ago Brian Brom is going to stay and be the interim head coach. Remember, he was the interim head coach of 2020 in that season opener with Jeff Brom had COVID. So, Brian's going to be the interim head coach. He's going to stick around. I think a couple defensive staffers, man. I think Ron Inglis is going to go. I think Mark Hagen may stay for the bowl game. So, yeah, again, it's going to be interesting to see what this staff looks like in 24 or 48 hours. And uh, who stays? Are they going to have G.A.'s coach this bowl game? And then, John, I even talked about the transfer portal. Are players now going to start jumping? I mean, I haven't even talked about signing date on December 21st. So th- 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 there's got to be resolution quickly for Purdue as far as final head coach. Somebody's sitting in that big chair, ASAP.
0: Who, who would he like to uh, to maybe hope that they tag along player-wise with him? Well, that would be interesting
2: to see who does follow, right? Uh, I think if you're an offensive skill guy, you're going to at least listen to what Jeff Brom has to say. Uh, if you're a quarterback, Brady Allen, you know, the four-star from Gibson Southern down in your neck of the woods. Man, we, Louisville's pretty close to his home. Uh, some of the wide receivers. So I think those type of guys would have interest uh, in definitely following Jeff Plum. So that's going to be fascinating. Also, which of the 2023 commitments, flip their commitments from Purdue to Louisville? Because like I said, December 21st, is the first day kids can start signing their their national letters of intent. So they got a couple weeks to come all this over and for Purdue to get somebody in their head coaching job as well to try to sell them and keep them.
0: Would would Mockaby
2: go with him? That's a good question. I'll I'll say say this, John. I know that crew real well, and they're very anxious right now. They want Devin on scholarship, and who's not going to want that, right? right? He's a great kid, too. And they're not sure what's going on. He loves Purdue. He doesn't want to leave Purdue. But he, he, he doesn't know what's going on. So, again, I get back to my point about Babinski needing to get somebody hired pretty quick. And you know, maybe they'll introduce somebody this time next week, if not sooner. Who knows?
0: So Tom Deanhart with uh, Golden Black Illustrateds on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline because yeah, there's no doubt they want to get him on scholarship, but is he more, is he more loving of the institution and the football program there, or the fact that he was given that particular opportunity from the head coach? I guess is what you're looking at here.
2: Yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. but I do know he loves Purdue. He's an engineer. He's always loved Purdue. Uh, but he does appreciate the opportunity, obviously, that Jeff Ron gave him, right? Now, how wouldn't you? And Chris Barkley, the running back's coach, who is, I think, going to go to Louisville. He's, he's, he grew up in Louisville. And he's the guy that got Devin to come. So it's going to be a big pull, I would think, especially to say, hey, Devin, we're already going to Louisville. We'll put you on scholarship down here. Give us a decision by Friday. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough decision. And it's kind of
0: player pretty would hate to lose, obviously. Yeah, no doubts. Uh, Tom Dean Hart of Golden Block Illustrated. Jeff Brom bouncing to Louisville. Second time was the charm in this case. And uh, the search is uh, underway. It was officially underway, I'm sure, already, but certainly underway right now. Tommy D's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I kind of framed this up before you came on as, for Boilermaker fans, and you have certainly more of a pulse than I do, but does it seem to you like, You come off of a very successful season, a very excitement-laden season, and now you get to go into a coaching search where I think some in the fan base probably felt that the ceiling was hit, and you don't normally get to do it. You don't normally go into a coaching search after a successful season like this, so it kind of seemed to me like a lot of Boilermaker fans were pretty excited about it.
2: I tell you, I was thinking this time last week, we we're still doing interviews, getting ready for the Big Ten Tyler game. Everything was happy and cheery, right? And not even a week later, he's gone. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to say this. I think maybe this may be a good time for Jeff Rom um, to have dropped the mic in and, the and, and, and left. You know, he's done a lot. Look where that program was at before he got there. You remember, the fans remember, the Daryl Hazel, Hazel. Sure. Daryl Hazel was a train wreck, right? And he's He's done a lot of great things. And next year's going to be challenging. Let's not be, let's not kid ourselves about Aiden O'Connell and some of these players. Look at the schedule too. Ohio State and Michigan are on it. So I think they were looking to probably take a step back next year. And again, here's Jeff Brown gets a chance to exit stage. Right. And finally do what's going to make his dad happy and the rest of his family happy and come back to, to Louisville where all of them always had houses. So it, it's just, it's a disappointing way for a produce season. And it feels like, it feels like the wheels have come off and, uh, It's never as bad as you think, but it it does appear dire right now. But I'm sure they'll get it all figured out. Again, they just got to get somebody hired.
0: Hey, Tommy, D, I kind of buried the lead a little bit here, too, because I do want to get to that. My assumption was that, to me, what I I would want is I would want to watch or get somebody in that is known to be uh, somewhat too certainly dynamic. Offensively. And then after that, you can go to figuring out the defense and, and moving down the trail in that fashion. So give me some names and what might they be looking for as far as the next head coach is concerned? And a dynamic offensive mind? Is that the top of the list?
2: Yeah. You know, that's, I call it the elevator pitch, John. Yeah. You got to be able to tell me in 10 seconds what you are. I don't care what it is in your life. pretty Purdue knows his identity. We all know the cradle of quarterbacks you got to throw the football offense, right? So I think that's your, that's your initial template you're looking for in your head coach. But I think just as important, look how college sports has changed in the last six years since Jeff Rahm was hired in 2017 with the portal, instant eligibility with NIL. It's, it's a totally different ballgame now. So you have to have a coach who's willing to embrace all that madness, figure out, Work with your collective too, and you got to have everybody in that university helping you out too. Because again, it's a very competitive environment. So I think you got to have somebody that's got that energy and juice that's going to embrace that and know how to use all those tools. Because there's no more two, three, four, five year builds. You can flip this watch from one year and succeed. So again, um, you got to have somebody who's dialed in. I'll tell you what one of the one of the favorite thing of the players. Is Jamarcus Shepard, the old receivers coach, is from Fort Wayne. He's been working out at the University of Washington with Kalen DeBoer. Uh oh. I just I mentioned Kalen DeBoer
0: myself. I said if there's anybody's <laughs> offense in college football I want to watch right now, it's Kalen DeBoer. But you're probably a year too late in trying to get in on anything like that, given the fact he's the head coach in Washington now. But that's interesting.
2: Yeah, Jamarcus Shepard would be a very, he could be like Purdue's Marcus, Marcus Freeman, a younger guy who's never been a head coach but a dynamic, energetic personality. So that that's one to keep on your radar. There's some older guys. I think Dave Clausen, at Wake Forest, Willie Fritz at Tulane, guys that add elk. And, and I'll tell you what, another older guy. I, I still am a big fan of Kevin Sumlin from right there in Naptown, the Buff High School, class of 82, a linebacker of Purdue, who's well on his coaching resume, right, at A&M in Houston in Arizona. He loves the Boilermakers and would love an opportunity. So those are some guys I think. Where's Sumlin right you know, now? Tommy D. He's coaching, he's coaching the Houston Gamblers in the USFL. Yeah,
0: I knew that. I didn't know How about that. That. <laughs> well, he could bring some of that sweet gear up with him too. That'd be nice. I, uh, you know, the, the last time I really talked about Kevin, someone I was out at the five hundred. This is a true story. It would be a bit abbreviated, but a true story. It was Kevin Sumlin, uh, Kevin Wilson, and my good friend, um, Clayton Anderson, the country music singer. And the night before, they'd been at some really rich guy's place down near Paragon, Indiana, and gotten a little bit loose. And according to the story and how they told it to me, out at the 500, this is leading up to the 500 on race day. uh, We were in Pagoda Plaza, and apparently Sumlin had lost his car keys in the lake, and uh, he didn't. (laughs) He couldn't drive, and they had to drive. It was it was a wild story. That was literally the last time I would talked too much about Kevin Sumlin, where allegedly he lost his keys the night before the 500 in a lake.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, and then Kevin Wilson was with him. Kevin Kevin's a pretty wild guy too, of course. He just I think kept... they were wound up. I think they were
0: real, a little wound up the night before the 500, from what I gather setting off a little steam, right? Yeah.
2: I, I, I tell you what, real quick, to one guy that would have been a great, great fit at Purdue but they're not going to be able to get him is Lance Leipold at Kansas. They obviously inked him in Lawrence. A great personality. You always think about fit, too. Don't you even you think about a job? You can't have a big personality if you're the Purdue head coach. It's a very understated place. There's not much media. Uh, you're not going to get your ego stroked a lot. But you know what, too, John? There's not much pressure either. And a guy like that would have been just a perfect fit, I think. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what direction Bobinski goes here. Offense, defense, young, old, uh, he's going to have, I think, a number of good options to look at.
0: Do they look at, because obviously, Brom came from Western Kentucky, where Tyson Helton is the younger brother of, of Clay yeah. Helton. I think he's 31-21, uh, 10 games above five hundred um, as a coach. Is, is that a resource in which they'd be looking for right now?
2: He's on our hot board, my friend. We have a hot board on our website, and he is on our hot board. And uh, he checks a lot of boxes that you obviously already know about. So you are an astute fan. Yeah, Helton definitely is a guy, a younger guy, who runs a dynamic offense as well. So, yeah, that's a guy I think would be very much of interest to Purdue. I, I think I'd want to talk to him.
0: Yeah, so you think it would be more somebody a little bit younger and dynamic or somebody older, been there and done that, or I hate to say recycle because that sounds like a jerk comment, yeah. but I guess more of a recycled type of guy.
2: You know, it's interesting. I, I really don't know. I, mean, I remember Lee Corso used to always say that, okay, whatever the coach left, whatever his personality was, old, next guy's going to be young. Offense, next guy's going to be defense. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case for Purdue. If you're looking for the opposite of Jeff Brown, what's the opposite of Jeff Brown, I guess uh, – I guess an older or a super young defensive guy, but I don't think so. I, I still think you got to go offense. I still, if I really had my druthers, I would probably still t- tilt younger. I just think you need a lot of juice at a place like Purdue. You got to be able to recruit. So, uh, I tell you what, the more I think about your Marcus Shepard, the more intrigued I get. And I will say this there's one guy on staff. I mentioned earlier, Mark Hagan, Armel, Indiana, former Hoosier. Yeah. Been approved for years on two different stints. And he's almost a Boilermaker just by association at this point. Uh, just a great guy. A heck of a coach who uh, I hope gets at least a look. Um, but, again, I, I just want to give him a shout-out for all the work he does. And he, he, he's, he's a very well-respected coach and person.
0: It's interesting you bring up Shepard because I was talking about Kalen DeBoer. It was an absolute pleasure to watch their offense this year in Washington. I mean, it was. They
2: were something. something. They got Michael Penix over there. There's all IU connection out there with Penix and DeBoer, right? And, William Inge is out there, an old IU assistant, too. Tom Allen lost some good good uh, coaching and players there the last couple of years that really buoyed those 19 and 20 teams in Bloomington.
0: I got a friend of mine that's uh, saying he's betting me a beer. that it's going to be Brian Brom.
2: I don't know. I mean, Brian's an impressive guy. I will say that. He carries himself like a head coach. He's smart. His personality is a lot different than Jeff's. He's much calmer. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I guess wouldn't totally close the door on Brian Brown. I think there's a faction of the fans that like him too. And he's an intriguing guy. I think maybe, maybe he will get a look and maybe some of it will depend on how the team looks when they play LSU on January 2nd down in Orlando. I wonder
0: if my telling the story of Sumlin Wilson and Clayton Anderson is better than how they would tell it right now. It was a hell of a story at the time. <laughs>
2: I bet you got so many stories.
0: They were we- they were wearing the night before like a badge of honor too. <laughs> let me tell glad. you.
2: I'm just glad I'm just glad I didn't know
0: you in the '80s. You <laughs> you have had the dirt on me. It'd be ugly, buddy. It'd be ugly. Let me tell you. All right, hey, keep me updated, would you, about what's going on? I know you got your finger on the pulse. And thanks for hopping on here today, as always. And the next time you're on, we'll talk about who they hire. Talk about yeah, whether or not there's a mass exodus. Talk about the bowl game. We got to work in some painter stuff too, and the hoop squad. It, so. It,
2: it, yeah, like I said, it may be next week, John. So anytime, you know, I love uh, coming on with you, and I appreciate it, buddy. You got it. Thank you, Tommy D. All right, all right,
0: bye-bye. Tom Deanhart of Golden Black Illustrated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. Jeremiah Johnson's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is that the first time you've ever been brought on to a radio show with the song Erotic City? First time ever?
1: I think so. I don't think we have the music rights for that on our pregame television cover. Oh, we well, Jamie, used it on TV, Jamie so Burns we would have on to
0: that. edit that. He would have to edit the hell out of that. There's a lot of F bombage going on in there. A lot of it. <laughs> yeah. We'll just move on there. A lot of it right there. I asked this question a little bit earlier. Um, And and I know it almost is like I'm I'm underselling, you know, the value of winning. And I'm not at all. But even if they lose tonight, can you look at this seven-gamer and getting two wins out of it as a positive for this group?
1: I think so. You have to think back to our conversations before the season. Uh, You know, whether I was talking with you or talking with people at the grocery store or other – media members, it was a season where we weren't going to be fixated on the record. So if you went into this season thinking that, you would still have to think the same thing in late November, early December, say you're not going to be as concerned about what the record is on a particular seven-game road trip, especially considering some of the individual development you've seen in these seven games. And five of them that Andrew Nemhart has played, you've just seen him grow by leaps and bounds, and you've had two of these memorable moments, the kind of games that you'll remember when all is said and done this season as kind of games that uh, you really learned a lot about youngsters, and that was the whole point of the season to begin with. So I did talk with Tyree Taliburn today. He acknowledged that three and four sounds a lot better than two and five, and I think the team's not satisfied with the two wins. They really want to get to third. But as you said, no matter what happens, I think you'll be okay with it headed home
0: tonight. And evidently no Carl Anthony Towns later on tonight, so we'll see how big of a purpose that serves as far as their chase of trying to get three out of the seven on the road in this seven-game Western Road Swing. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I do want to get to Andrew Nimhart. And I guess this is what I have. Watching this game uh, and the numbers he put up against Golden State, the 31 points, the overall four game, I guess you go back to his days in Gonzaga. And Gonzaga – they play fast, yet he was never sped up. They play fast coming off a defensive glass. They come off uh, of an inbounds, off a make. They play fast. They always play fast. And I think this has served a purpose because he never looks sped up. He never looks out of control. He always looks under control, and I think that is also how I watched him play in, what, his two, two-plus, three seasons in Spokane collegially.
1: And a good example of what you're describing is at one point in the second half, I think the Warriors were trying to get Andrew Nemhardt out of his game. And I think it was Draymond Green who picked him up as soon as the ball was inbounded and was hounding him. And you could argue maybe fouled him three different times. And he went up the court quickly, but not too fast and not out of control and did not, you know, cause a turnover and then went in and, and created a basket. And so that was a, an example right there to me that I. I thought I almost held my breath as as it was happening because I said they're going to either throw a trap at him or they're going to try to knock that ball away and they probably should call a foul and none of that happened and he was able to deal with the pressure and execute. And he's not the same kind of point guard as Tyrese Halliburton. He's going to definitely step on the gas and go as fast as he can at all times. But Andrew Nembhard goes fast enough and I think he went at the perfect pace for that game against Golden State. He was able to get into the lane, into the paint, So many times over the last few years, John, we've talked about the Pacers struggling with guys getting inside. Nemhard got in the paint. He can stop and knock it down, or he can throw a lob up. He can do so many different things when he gets inside, and I think he just has a lot of versatility. Maybe tonight if Tyrese Halliburton plays, he's more off-ball, but you know after what he did on Monday – If he has the ball on the wing and doesn't necessarily bring the ball up the court, he can still attack and make some plays that can really help you.
0: Uh, J.J.'s with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I would agree, and it was a great back and forth. I mean, he was guarding Steph Curry. He was putting up shots and scoring against Steph Curry. I didn't notice it, and I was curious if you did. Was there any dialogue back and forth between arguably the best player in the NBA and the rookie from Gonzaga?
1: I did not see any like you would see, uh, you know, maybe you've seen it at different times on the road trip, but I, I thought that uh, the only emotion I saw was just Steph Curry, a little bit frustrated with himself. And a few times he just looked and said, how is that going in? How did that guy make that shot? But I did not see any individual talking going on. And I think that's probably a smart move yeah. for Andrew Nemhardt, especially under the circumstances. You don't want to awake the beast. And there were a couple of different times to credit the entire Pacers team, when it really felt like it was going the momentum was gonna give the Warriors the advantage, and they took those one or two point leads on two different occasions in the fourth quarter, and then quickly the Pacers had an answer, and so I think they were able to just stay focused on the task at hand, not get into any back and forth, even even though it's sometimes easy when you're playing against a guy like Draymond Green. Um, but I, it was just a, a great performance to watch.
0: I'm curious about this too, Benedict Matherin. Another rookie, obviously having a fantastic season. When was the last time you could remember a Pacers player so relentlessly going to the glass as he does? I mean, he is just relentless, driving the ball, driving the ball. No matter what had taken place, either positive or negative, the play prior, he still goes at it, driving the ball. When was the last time somebody driving the basketball for the Pacers was that relentless?
1: Just off the top of my head, I think I'll remember before Paul George was injured, I thought there were times, depending upon the matchup, that he would, you know, he would attack and get in in the paint and and score, and he got a lot of
0: confidence maybe in that. Did Oladipo go that much? Are we forgetting about Oladipo? I'm sorry to interrupt, by the way. No, You're all right.
1: I I think that Victor maybe not not as much as Matherin. I mean, I I don't think he quite had the strength. I mean, he definitely had some of the explosiveness before the injury, and you would see him get out in transition. But I don't know that he could finish through contact as well as we've already seen in his rookie season from Benedict Mather. And he is trying – I think he's having to adjust a little bit. He got a lot of calls early, and then there have been some games on the road trip where he's wanted some of the fouls. And so that's one of the things I think he's going to have to continue to adjust to and, and know what is enough contact to get that foul and when he just has to you know, try to finish as much as he can and not try to get – You'd be as worried about getting to the free throw line. But uh, for what he's able to do and how relentless, as you said, he is in his first NBA season, it's a credit to what he did in the developmental stages in Mexico when he went to the NBA Academy and then what he was able to, to learn in his two years at Arizona.
0: Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports, Indiana. It's got you covered tonight. 7.30 pregame show. 8 o'clock is that tip. The Pacers look to go 3-4 and four on their seven-game Western Road swing. What else has stood out to you regarding this trip? And I know that there were certainly in Utah, Sacramento against the Clippers, Portland as well. There were some clunkers in there, but what else has stood out to you as far as the 7 is concerned?
1: You know, I think just their ability to put those games behind them and play on Monday against Golden State. And if you looked at the seven-game trip when you boarded that plane for Los Angeles, you get a, there's a lot of attention on the Lakers and the Warriors because of the high-profile players that they have. And, you know, Sacramento, Portland, Utah, right now those teams are playing well, and they also have great environments. And so that was really difficult, and it was a three-game stretch where I think you were you could be – uh, there would be a chance you'd get your, hang your heads a little bit and you go into the Golden State game with so many guys out due to injury. And, and so the basically the ability to bounce back. I will say that um, you know seeing Jalen Smith have a productive road trip was a, was a real positive, and I think that might be a big takeaway as well as with Miles Turner out on Monday night. He played a lot of the five, and he shows he's he's capable. He started most of the season as the four, but he has a lot of versatility, and he has some toughness that – you don't necessarily see every single night, but he's learning to do that and bring that more consistently. So that might be my other big takeaway from the road trip is a positive week from, from Jalen Smith and something that you can count on more moving forward.
0: I, Isaiah Jackson, his largest flaw right now is it his inability to stay out of foul difficulties.
1: That plus I think he probably just has to be a little more confident in his outside shot. You have to, you have to be respected outside and not, I mean, no one rolls to the basket and, and finishes on lobs as, as well as Isaiah Jackson. So he's got that as part of his game, but you also want to be able to, if he pops or has the ball on the wing, you want to have the defender go out and respect you. So that's probably something that needs to continue to develop is his outside shooting. I, I'm kind of not necessarily fear or worry, but I do think because of the foul situations and, and the style that he plays with, that, that he's maybe a, a sixth or seventh man type of guy. That's good to give you 22 to 24 minutes. Yeah. But if he plays longer, he's going to get in foul trouble and it's going to have some issues as well. But it was, it was positive to see him play well on Monday because he struggled a little bit on this road trip and, and he made some big plays and, just the confidence back to Nemhard that with about three minutes left, he's driving in the lane, throwing up a lob like like you would in a pickup game and with three minutes left in the fourth quarter at the Chase Center. I thought that was a sign of the confidence not only that Andrew Nemhard has in, in himself to make plays, but in Isaiah Jackson to, to finish. So he's got to learn to deal with the foul troubles. That happens for a young player. I think you'll see him continue to get better. But I would like to see, you know, over time, progress a little bit with the outside shot.
0: All right, J.J., later off tonight, you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. He's been out the past two. Miles missed the last game as well. What do these guys look like in preparation for tonight? Anybody good to go?
1: Well, it's a tough game to prepare for because there are currently six players listed on the injury report as questionable, but it uh, did look like they went through most of shoot-around. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that we will they will play, and the only one that I did talk to was Tyrese Halliburton, and he said – that he definitely was feeling better after missing the last two games and they'll make a decision closer to game time. So if he doesn't play tonight, it'll be sooner rather than later that he does return. And they did have more of a full practice court for shoot-around than they had in the last couple of days. So we'll have to wait and see. I definitely think the availability list will be better than it was against Golden State. But if anyone is out... You do know from what you got, that experience you got against Golden State, you've got some guys that are ready. The one late ad was Jalen Smith. He was not on the injury report last night, but was added late this morning. So we'll have to see what the front court looks like tonight with he and, and Miles Turner.
0: JJ, what was Miles' situation?
1: Uh, it was a hamstring, and I'm still not sure exactly. When that happened, and I don't know that even Rick Carlisle, when asked, had a specific answer, uh, but he was out for that game Monday after playing Sunday in Portland with a hamstring.
0: They um, they glass casing him at all? Because obviously there's going to have to be some sort of decision made either way. I mean, anything that could be nagging, anything that might be considering Playing through, not playing through? Was he in a glass case, or have they been pretty pretty open about, hey, if he's good to go, he's good to go here?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first game that he was out with this recent ailment was Monday, and so there's not been any specific questions along those lines, too. Rick Carlisle, you could make some assumptions, but I'd have no way to say yay or nay for that. We'll have to wait and see what happens. I think I went into this whole season saying – I'll be prepared for anything for Miles Turner, and after that first week when he's sprained his ankle, he's played the best basketball of his career, and he's been the kind of leader that you'd like, and even when he wasn't playing on Monday was very vocal in the huddles. But facts are facts, and numbers are numbers, and what you bring up is is not something that we're not aware of. So I don't really know to answer your question, you know what role that plays into things. I would assume that if he's healthy, he'll play and we'll see if he plays tonight.
0: I wonder if you noticed this, especially going back to last year. You wouldn't have much knowledge the year prior, but the end of things for him in Dallas, he he didn't seem like he was having certainly a great time coaching up that team. A year ago, He didn't look like he was that enthusiastic about coaching up that team, but it seems like this squad is a lot different and certainly more enjoyable to coach up from Rick Carlisle. Is that something you've noticed?
1: I have. I mean, I... It's been a joy to to watch him work in practice, and I think the one thing also that's really helped not just last year but into this year is how the coaching staff really works together. Rick Carlisle really trusts the people that are under him. He is giving them a lot of authority, a lot of responsibility, and they all do a little bit different things. They have different tasks, but Lloyd Pierce, Ronald Nord, Mike Weiner – jenny Busick, and you throw in Calvert cheney and the developmental crew and, and even the training staff I, I think they're really having a lot of fun working together and it helped that they were all together last season as well and the other person that i'll say makes everything better and i was asked a similar question on a sirius nba radio to start the road trip and they wanted to know about rick carlisle and how he was getting along with his team and i said that you know tyrese Halliburton has a big factor in the has is a big part of the fun factor that you mentioned. And I think that makes everything go well, because if he's your point guard and he's your team leader, he's probably going to be the player that the head coach is talking to most. And it just seems like right now, uh, the relationship could not be better between Halliburton and Rick Carlisle. And if that relationship is good and you're having fun and you're winning more than you're losing uh, that can energize the coach. And so maybe a change of scenery was good. Rick is back in Indiana, where he, you know, knows so many people with the franchise and has so much respect for the franchise. So it just seems to be um, an energizing type of situation for Rick Carlisle. Yeah,
0: that's that's the way that it looks. Uh, certainly, if you want to compare it, pacer wise to to what they went through um, last year. And the other aspect that sticks out, and I mentioned this, and this was after Nemhard made that game winning three. Uh, In L.A., uh, back a week ago Monday, the second game of that Western Road swing you guys are on right now, it reminded me of that N1 situation with Corey Joseph and I, I forget what year this was, but it was an Ola Depot season, and everybody came off the bench, and when he was knocked down, he was an and one, and they kind of lifted him up, and he had a big smile on his face. And that was kind of the signature moment of that team. And really, if you want to look at it, the signature moment of any Pacers team, successful and enjoyable that we have seen in a while. Are, are those two teams and the personalities and the get-along comparable?
1: I think you're spot on. I've I've tried to mention that while not wanting to put, you know, too high of expectations on that, on this group, because that was the 2017, 18 season. And in my time, which is approaching 10 years now, I mean, that was probably the most fun I have had with any group in the last decade because of not only how, you know, well they got along off the court, but how well they played on the court and the moments like you saw from that Corey Joseph moment, which was really just one of many. It was the one everyone remembers. It right. The poster was made out of it, and it was, you know, kind of the, the headline grabber. But they did that all season long, and one of the reasons was they had the right mix of young up and coming players with established veterans. And you can't you can't underestimate the impact of guys like Corey Joseph and Darren Collison and Thaddeus Young on that group. But then you had an ascending Victor Oladipo with Damante Sabonis, and there are not quite the same, you know, mix. On this team, there's not quite the same mix. However, you do have some of those veterans. And a guy like Buddy Heald has been a lot more of a positive influence than I think anyone thought he would be and maybe the reputation that he had in Sacramento. A guy like James Johnson is doing exactly what he needs for his role on this team. T.J. McConnell does have some similarities, even though he's so unique as a veteran. And Miles is serving the role as well. So... So far, I, I am making some of those loose comparisons. We'll see how this continues to progress. But the 2017-18 season, special place in my heart. We'll see how this one ends up. But it even goes back to me, John, and I even tweeted after the game against the Lakers as well. When when no one expects anything of you and you have success, it's that much more enjoyable. And that 2017-18 season, if you'll remember, the league pass rankings we always uh, talked about it zach Lowe said they were 30th out of 30 like who would want to watch the pacers and by the end of the season everyone wanted to watch the pacers and that's what we're hoping um can can happen with this group and people are starting to take notice and um so we'll see we'll see if the comparisons can continue but i think you're on the right track yeah
0: that's that's what i i thought of with without question a team that gets along a team that enjoys one another and you know, whether you're not you're thirty three or you know, you're Andrew Nemhart the rookie second round selection who's having a fantastic start. It doesn't seem to matter. They all seem to kind of enjoy the success of one another. And I don't think that's always been the case. Before I let you go, I'm curious. Sacramento and how they felt in the return of Buddy Healed. What did that stem from? Do you know?
1: You know, it's weird because he, you know, led the franchise in three-pointers, was there for so long, and it did seem to me like initially he was given some of the blame of the playoff drought not coming to an end, and I think also when he was taken out of the starting lineup, maybe he expressed some frustration and maybe just wasn't as as fun to be around in Sacramento as he has seemed to be with the Pacers. Maybe the losing got to him a little bit, so... I did not have anyone specifically say that, you know, Buddy was grumpy or they didn't enjoy being around him, but I just got that feeling that the relationship soured. He felt, you know, his role maybe wasn't as good as it was and maybe some things were said, but it was it was odd how much he was booed when he got the ball in Sacramento. And sometimes that'll happen when a player moves on, but it's not like he chose to move on. He was traded, so it he didn't necessarily um, it wasn't his own doing to be out of Sacramento. Maybe he – I didn't see all the quotes once he was traded, but you know, Tyrese Halliburton talked about how much he wanted to stay in Sacramento, and I think Buddy Hill maybe let it known that he was just fine <laughs> moving right. on. So maybe that was a little bit of it, but I think it was one of those things where over time the honeymoon had ended and, and he did not fulfill what they wanted from a team perspective and his shooting. Maybe it went down just a little bit, but it just seemed right. like that the two sides were happy to uh, to move on from each other as we see that sometimes happens in life.
0: Now, there was a straight difference, too, because there were just loud boos for Buddy Heald and there were cheers for Tyrese Halliburton. And my theory was that, really, if you're a Sacramento fan, you didn't want to see Halliburton get traded. They weren't happy about that, so they were more angry with the organization about that, but they were more angry with Buddy Heald because of the lack of, I'm guessing, success over the years in which he was there as to why he got the boos. That was my theory.
1: Yeah, it did seem like he got a lot of the blame for them not making the playoffs and not achieving the success that they thought they would they would have when they acquired him. And they had expectations. He was going to be Steph Curry. Remember, the owner yeah. thought he was the next Steph Curry. And when he didn't live up to those expectations, which is pretty much impossible for anyone to live up to, I suppose he was viewed as, you know,
0: underachieving. So that
1: was odd. We'll see what happens uh, next Monday, you know, who might be back at Gamebridge
0: Fieldhouse for the first time. I wonder what that reaction will be. Man, that's, uh, people are going to be glad you guys are back. No doubt about that. Right, seems like it's it's been forever because it has, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, Pacers home Friday and Saturday, but then I was mentioning on Monday with the Miami Heat, Victor Oladipo returned for the first time all season, and he's yet to play in Indianapolis. So I wonder what that will be like on Monday.
0: Oh, yeah. That should be interesting.
1: Yeah. Probably so booze forward to when we return finally home after this seven game road trip later tonight.
0: Mm. Was it uh are are you are you cool with coming back now? It was probably great to be back. I mean, officially on the road. This is how you officially get back on the road is when you go out for an extended period of time out west on a road trip. Is it somewhere now you're kind of over it and ready to get back home at this point?
1: Well, I think everybody's probably ready to sleep in their own beds, but when we went from San Francisco to Minnesota and the snow and the wind and the chills. It it made us realize it wasn't so bad being out west. But I definitely think everybody's ready to be back home. And to your your original question, though, being on the road doing this job is the way you you want to. It's the ideal way and it's the best way to tell the stories and to cover the team and and to have really a couple of games. Last year, the Pacers won that game at Golden State, the Keeper-Sykes game in overtime, but we were, you know, not even broadcasting. It was a nationally televised game, and we were on our couches. And so to be able to broadcast the game and be there and interview Andrew, you know, at midcourt when the game ended, that's the way it's supposed to be, and it's definitely – definitely been a good road trip from that perspective All
0: right. it's 7 30 tonight it's the pregame show eight o'clock is the tip we'll find out a little bit more about Halliburton about Turner and those that uh showed up as questionable on the injury report a little bit earlier today it's Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana with us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline always a pleasure safe travels back to Indy we'll see you soon
1: thanks for having me on take
0: care JJ Andy Moore automotive group hotline Mandy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now. Morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. Also, 1075thefan.com with all of those articles, podcasts, and as the 66 year old Larry Bird celebrating a birthday today once famously said, Stuff I get. It's Kevin Bowen, Kevin and Query, The Morning Show joining us now. Stuff I get. I like shooting, passing, dribbling stuff like it in southern indiana that's stuff like that all one word stuff like it did you know happy
3: birthday happy birthday to larry bird
0: larry bird 66 did you know that the word stuff like that in southern indiana is stuff like it as one word all together yeah it's kind of like yeah yeah, it's like cold is code in southern indiana did you know that
3: i know colts are coats yeah coats C-O-A-T-E-S, if you want to get technical to spell in there.
0: When you're, um, when you're trying to get somewhere other, quickly, other a lingo. when you're trying to get there somewhere quickly, you are going to be there directly. <laughs> and also, when you may want to take a nap on the couch, you will lie down on the Davenport. What? Yeah, the Davenport.
3: Boy, I've not heard that one.
0: Yeah. Southern Indiana, right there. there a- you were down there for a minute at IU. Would you stay on the north side of IU or what?
3: I stayed in the. I was Briscoe Gucker my freshman year. I was in the Villas my sophomore year. Probably a miracle I made it out of the Villas, to be honest. And then. Uh,
0: I, I hope lived- you. I hope you stayed in the apartment that I crapped up a lot down there too. Which so one did you stay in? Twenty nine. Oh man. Twenty nine. Let me tell you back this:
3: right corner. It was perfect. No cops ever came back there.
0: Oh man, let me tell you this. I crapped up a couple of different ones down there. A couple of different summers. I hope you didn't stay in that one. I um, hope. They, I, I hope they pulled the carpeting before you moved in.
3: I, I was gonna say, part of me would like to think they had a bit of an overhaul, but knowing how the villas operated, whatever year you did that, from yes, my two thousand and nine stay there It probably wasn't changed too much from
0: yeah there. yeah they probably just uh got a uh, rug doctor steaming mad at dirt out there and pulled some of that stuff up but it wasn't going to work with i laid down on a carpet brother so let me tell you it's problematic <laughs> uh thank you for the uh for the text <laughs> to my uh Co-host this morning <laughs> did you know did you, he tell you that you, i sent him a text this morning right at 5 five thirty 30 in the morning i got up at 5 30 i sent him a text i said hey are you up <laughs>
3: Something like uh let's wake up laney blake
0: and jake jake i know i feel like the uh big time dad right there so he was in on time he said he was up i don't think he actually got up until six i think i was up before jake was
3: we had, I think, a listener Matthew from Maine actually give him a call to make sure that he was <laughs> he was up. So little did he know he was, you know, working with the hotel front desk that you know he could just call uh, call the night before and make sure he got a little wake up call.
0: Hey, before we get started on Jeff Brom, who's next at Purdue and the Pacers and the Colts and more, um, do you are you guys moved in studio when uh, Dykton rolls my naturally nude pajama pajama gram commercials? Are you moved by that?
3: Ah, uh, boy. Yeah, that, that that might be one way to describe it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Does yeah. it strike a chord with you guys? Does it sound sexy? I try really hard to sound sexy.
3: It's usually one of the ones that, you know, stirs up a lot of morning conversation from listeners. So you seem to be resonating yeah. on that front. So, I mean, the client's got to be thrilled with that.
0: Yeah, I, don't, I think it'd be tough to find somebody um, the level of me that just, shouts naturally nude pajamas when i'm talking about it right there you know
3: yeah i mean i certainly haven't thought about naturally nude pajamas very often um but you know when you say that out loud i certainly think of jmv
0: gotta spice up that existence sometimes right there in this holiday season pajamagram.com right right? get a free naturally nude nighty if you order right now too hey tell me tell me you should not be looking into that what a great holiday gift-giving idea. You're on top of it, per usual. Oh, man. All about it. Speaking of on top of it, Jeff Brom to Louisville. Who do you think is going to be next? I, I Here's what I said, and I know he's not going to go there. And then Tom Deanhart brought up a, an assistant coach uh, under Kalen DeBoer in Washington. I think somebody with a dynamic offensive mind. Um, not like mine, but like offensive on the football field, that's where they should be going with this. Is a guy like um, uh, Tyson Helton, for example, at Western Kentucky, going back to where they got Jeff Brom in the first place, would that be the type of guy maybe you're looking for in West Lafayette moving forward here?
3: Yeah, I mean, he would seem to be kind of the cookie-cutter mid-major. You know, uh, you know Brom obviously came from there. All of those things would would check that box. Uh, I I guess I'll start here. I totally agree with you on the dynamic offensive mind. Purdue's created a brand that I think a lot of people, certainly as the cradle quarterbacks, are just a, you know, more often than not, a really good offensive product. And, you know, even when your team isn't necessarily winning nine or ten games on an annual basis, you know, as long as offensively you continue to be, you know, the, the type of output that they've been for the better part of the last couple decades, I think that's extremely important in just maintaining relevance, maintaining entertainment level with your fan base all those things so i would side more with the offensive coach um the name that you know i'd be interested in would be dave Clawson from wake forest um, you know I, I think in a way wake forest and the acc and purdue and the big 10 have some similarities um wake forest is an extremely offensive-minded football team i mean for any of you know anybody that's watched them in the last couple of years uh they play with quick tempo and they play a pretty unique brand of offense. And it's not like Wake Forest is littered with gobs and gobs of resources or NIL money or those sorts of things. And, you know, while Clawson seems to have a good thing going there at Wake, if the appeal for some of these coaches is to get into the Big Ten or the SEC because they feel like it's an arms race, that's where I think Purdue has got to try and position the, themselves within this coaching cycle because, you know, in a way, that might be their biggest drawing point right now obviously Nebraska and Wisconsin their brand are on a different level than Purdue but you know the, the fact that they got Matt Rule and Luke Fickle you know I I was pretty impressed by both of those hires you know does any of this Big Ten realignment and the growth of that conference have anything to do with it you, you gotta think there's a little bit of that so Clausen is a is a name um I'm curious like what's the future for Dan Mullen uh, you know I, I know he's got you know Primarily SEC ties, but, I mean, he's a name. And offensively, had great success in Mississippi State and Florida. And the other name that I'll I'll throw out there, John, and I know in this market he's pretty much like, at least I feel like he's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. But we're talking about a guy with a resume here that was an NFL head coach for six full seasons, made the playoffs four times, won a pair of playoff games, and then he's been Nick Saban's offensive coordinator for the last two years. If that dude's name was John Smith, that resume would be one of the best of any sort of candidate out there. But the name's Bill O'Brien, and I think everybody just looks at that and says, no way. Bill O'Brien had a lot of success at Penn State in an awful situation. Would that be a name that Purdue should go out and pursue?
0: So, new and intriguing or old... In veteran, I guess that's a point to make too with this. Like a lot of people are saying, Brock's back, um, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know the uh, the relation and the connection, right? I hadn't, yeah, I, Taylor, I mean, Taylor, DC, yeah. So I um, yeah, Doesn't I just he, I, I just, I, I just think veteran. something something offensively and and something moving to a a younger type of of generational coach and I, some people tell me not to leave brian Brom out of the equation too i guess
3: yeah i have read a little bit about that that you know brian might want to get away from his dad in a sense of be a play caller and those sorts of things and and kind of run the show there and he's the interim for the bowl game right
0: yes he may yeah, be one uh, of the few left on board by the time the mass exodus occurs here
3: right I guess the, the the debate I have about young versus old, like Tyson Helton for example, does he just view Purdue as a stepping stone in going up the ladder? Whereas if you went a little bit older, would they view Purdue as not necessarily destination? But more of they would find a level of contentment there to kind of ride it out for a little bit longer.
0: Don't you think that that's yeah, all they're all going to? I mean it I'm not yeah, suggesting probably. Purdue's a stepping stone thinking. school, but I think most anybody, if you have success there and you get offered uh, another job that is perceived to be at a higher level, they're going to bail too?
3: Yeah, it's probably wishful thinking on my part that if someone would view it in a light of, hey, I'm gonna you know in three years and you know we've whatever won nine games in a couple of those seasons, and now we're getting calls from elsewhere. Yes, the older coach might be a little bit more inclined to stay, but you know, to your point, you know, any coach is probably going to run at that. But I, I am very curious just to see what the candidate list looks like because, again, it is such a different job from when Brian Brom or Jeff Brom interviewed uh, back after the Daryl Hazel era, and to go from Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel to where you're at right now, uh, it's on totally, totally different ground, uh, which is a credit certainly to Jeff Brom. And, I mean, if Purdue wins their bowl game, John, that'll be back-to-back nine-win seasons. I think Killer did that in his first two years, and that's, like, it. If you look at, you know, Purdue history, I mean, you got to go way back, obviously, before you see that. Um, So, it's pretty darn impressive what Jeff did these last couple of seasons, uh, and we'll see how attractive that job is for Mike Movinsky and company.
0: This is interesting. Tom Deanhart was on earlier and had mentioned Jamarcus Shepard, kid out of – well, I say kid, uh, man out of Fort Wayne that was in the Boilermaker program that is the uh, passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach at Washington. And I, I got to talking a little bit about, you know, if it were a year ago and and Kalen DeBoer was coming out of Fresno state. Yeah, probably not now when he's in Washington, but I just so enjoyed watching Kalen DeBoer and his offense this season with the Huskies. Something like that is a young coach with ties to the program of the past may give me a little bit of interest how about you
3: yeah I saw that name earlier I didn't realize he played at DePaul um if I'm not mistaken I think he coached high school football here in the area in the state to kind of get things started in his coaching career
0: I think he was um he attended what do you, he went uh he played in Northrop I think four-way Northrop back in the day and uh yeah he did go yeah. to DePaul
3: and you know it's on the that that Brahms staff kind of early on so yeah, he's a name again. If you want to go that younger route and maybe a little bit more of a risk, um, does he look at the Washington situation with Michael Pendix coming back? Does he sit there and say, "Hey, we're we're a potential playoff team next year"? I get that I got a lot of ties in the Midwest, and you know maybe Purdue would be really really enticing to him. But you know, Washington has another great season, and you know even kind of a notch above where they are this year. You would assume he'd get a whole lot of offers. or be a, a name of uh, of interest for sure.
0: You think Michael Penix was he a NFL quarterback? Not as a, a full time start. I mean, does does he get an opportunity to get some reps in the NFL with that arm?
3: I think he definitely gets an opportunity. I, I'd be very scared of the medical history. Uh, that would be my biggest worry with him. Uh, but I mean, for anybody that watched Washington, I actually watched a little bit of their Apple Cup game to end of the season a couple of weeks ago, and I mean it's it's impressive, and and it was a reminder of what. He showed, certainly when he had time and when he was healthy in Bloomington, some of those throws he could make, uh, extremely impressive. But, again, the injury history would be very, very concerning with me.
0: So, Kevin Bowen, The Morning Show, Kevin and Inquiry. That's 7 until 10 a.m., weekday mornings, Monday through Friday, here on the Fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, are you getting back off of it? That Rutgers game on Saturday clearly didn't go well. Getting Nebraska coming up later on tonight. Bounce back time in Bloomington in your estimation?
3: Any word on Shafino playing?
0: Um, I have not seen anything on him yet.
3: Yeah, I, you would hope. I mean, Nebraska at home, you would hope that that screams bounce back. I get that Nebraska just had a great win at Creighton. And they did. Um, and, you know, I thought, Saturday. I don't know if we needed to see the 40 minutes to play out. You know, if you were going to tell me, all right, IU's going to lose their first game of the year. It's going to be to an unranked team. How does it look? I, I probably could have told you it would look something like what Rutgers did to Indiana. Muck it up big time. You know, borderline turned it probably into a football game. Threw a ton of bodies at Trace. And outside of Miller Cop, nobody could throw it in the ocean. And when you don't have put Shafina on the floor, you know, you can't just you can't sit Xavier Johnson to the bench when he's having one of those nights and he had one of those nights where uh, he couldn't score and turned it over on a pretty routine basis. Uh, so that is the blueprint. And I, I, again, I don't think they necessarily needed to see that, but um, 48 points, is inexcusable uh, with, with how potent and how deep even without Huchifino that team is. So just critical to get the big 10 home game. And then I think if you get a split Arizona, Kansas, I mean, that's that's a really strong non-conference resume. I get that North Carolina is going to be nowhere near the win that you thought it would be. You, you obviously have the road win at Xavier, which I think will look really good come March. And then if you can get an Arizona or a Kansas away from home, that's going to look really strong. And just in general, you know, with those teams that you played, um, it's going to be a pretty good non-conference strike to schedule and all those things. So I think that'll be beneficial for Indiana as well.
0: Hood yeah, Shafino obviously – was a big-time omission at that game at Rutgers. But even if he were playing, I think at least the the win-loss outcome was going to be virtually the same for IU in that game. You agree?
3: Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, you know, the the start of the North Carolina game, he was so good. Um, Yeah, I thought when they lost fantasy and the transfer portal, obviously you didn't see a lot of moments from him last year, certainly not many outside of the Purdue game it seemed like when Xavier Johnson got going down that wrong path, they just didn't have a guard that they trusted, felt comfortable with that they could sit Xavier Johnson for, try and send a message and then still feel like offensively, they could get some things going. I thought with their rival of which, that would allow for some of that to take place to where, okay, now you can throw him out there. He can be your point guard. And, you know, maybe it's Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates in the backcourt or, you know, cop and, and, and Galloway or, you know, something like that. I mean, they, they tried everything. I, I mean, C.J. Gunn got in the game there late. I, you know, you it, it's clear Woodson was trying just about anybody to try and see if that could offer a spark. So, would he have made the difference in a win-loss? Probably not. I, I, I do think he would have made it a lot, lot closer. But it was just a reminder of, you know, when Xavier Johnson is not at that, you know, February-March level we saw him at last year, and again, you're able to double-trace like they did and you know Big Ten, you know, coaches are gonna follow that same sort of blueprint. Guys are gonna to have to hit perimeter shots, and doing it away from home uh, means a whole lot more than, you know, what we saw against North Carolina a week ago tonight.
0: Yeah, I want to get the trace in a minute, but you mentioned Finasey. That's Rob Finnessy who is now in Cincinnati. He uh doesn't look like he's getting a lot done there right now, is he? Points per game wise? I
3: I, I thought he got hurt. Did, 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 yeah, I I I have no idea what, what he's doing stat-wise, but but I thought I saw he
0: got hurt the other night. I think it's, Yeah, he may have uh, – eight games is what they what it says right here, is, is stat line. And I have not seen them play yet this year, so maybe I'm completely inaccurate. But, well, a little over uh, 19 per game as far as minutes are concerned and less than two points a game is Ooh. what it's saying. And I, I didn't expect him to go over there and light it up offensively, but, uh, yeah, that stat line, yeah. at least so far this year, through eight games, injury or not, is a little bit surprising, I guess.
3: When you went 19 a game on me there, I was like, whoa. No, oh, yeah, that's 19 minutes. Ma- I was, I yeah, the, the minute boys.
0: category right there, yeah.
3: Jeez, yeah. I, I assumed. Because wasn't it either him or Butler? Or wasn't it Butler or Cincinnati for him?
0: Um. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think you're right.
3: Eric Hunter's playing a much, much different role uh, over at, over Hinkle than Spennazy clearly is playing for Cincinnati.
0: hmm it's uh, Kevin Bowen of the morning show with us. You know the thing about uh, that Trace that I thought he did so well and so active against Carolina. Of, you know, you know, getting out of double team situations. You know, passing um, out of out of the paint and finding guys, getting guys open shots and maybe it was just Steve Peichel has the number defensively and what to do against him and IU, maybe that's the case, but it just wasn't even close to what it was on that Wednesday night at home against Carolina as it was against Rutgers. That was a little bit disappointing.
3: Yeah, you know, I probably fall into this trap too often, John, where you watch Purdue, you watch Indiana, you just naturally compare the two teams. I think the thing that's impressed me, the one of the most about Zach Eady this year, outside of just frankly his stamina and his ability to, Maintain that production throughout the course of a game is, I think he's doing such a great job of feeling the double team, knowing where to go with it, anticipating it. And I mean, he's a really strong passer. Um, And I feel like that is an area where, you know, maybe Trace gets doubled a little bit more, but I don't know. I feel like Edie gets doubled a whole lot that IU just has to do a better job with that. Now, granted, I think Purdue is the better-built team around their big guy in terms of guys that are willing post-feeders, know better angles, when to kind of make the extra pass to that better angle. I think, in general, there's better shooters around Edie as well. Uh, but I do think the big guy can initiate a lot of that. I also think just a lot of credit to, to Rutgers because I just felt like they totally stifled anything. Like, even they when did. Trace did get some touches... I just didn't even feel like he had many outlets to make plays like that. But, I mean, that's that's the beauty, I guess, of Saturday. It's unfortunate that it took that. But, I mean, right there, December, whatever, you just shown on film in your first Big Ten game, this is the blueprint to try and beat Indiana. And it's not like Cliff Amore, Rutgers' big guy, played a ton of minutes. I mean, he battled foul trouble in the first half and even battled some foul trouble in the second half there. So, I think that would be a little bit worrisome, if you're Indiana as well. It's not like they had this you know, 6'10", 6'11", big guy who his length you know, caused a whole lot of problems for Trace. It was more of some undersized guys throwing those double teams at him, and unless those was Miller cops guys are just clanking it.
0: So Kevin Bowen in the morning show. Colts, of course, in a bye week. Uh, they are off until Monday. People would say they'd been off longer than that going back to Sunday night into the fourth quarter are we going to see nick Foles, or do you think jeff saturday is going to stick with matt ryan how is this going to go once they're back engaged next week in practice
3: yeah i I see no way you can stick with ryan again um and i thought jeff was super non-committal after the game about that um granted it is you know five ten minutes after a game but i think jeff knows that you know, what that product has been at quarterback, especially at late. I, I, I continue to think, John, his shoulders impacting him. I just don't see – it's not like he was some 90-mile-per-hour 90, 90 fastball guy in September and October, but he certainly had more velocity on the ball than he has now. I mean, he could have had – what do you have, three picks, and he could have probably had four more based off Dallas just contesting so many of those balls. So, um, you know, I, I've kind of laid it out from a financial standpoint, from a evaluation of your roster standpoint. From looking one eye towards the future, whichever box you want to look at, I, there's no reason to play Ryan. Um, so if you want to still try and win the most in the short term and want to evaluate the guys you have around your, your quarterback position and, and you feel like there is that veteran that can you know, help you out here against you know still a pretty tough schedule coming out of the bye, then go with Foles. Um, if you do have one eye looking towards the future, which obviously Jeff Saturday does not, and I totally understand why he wouldn't then go with Ellinger. So um, if I'm trying to like weigh the Colts, like what I think is realistic, knowing the Colts and also looking at what Matt Ryan looked like on Sunday night, then I would go with Foles, but trying to predict what the Colts are going to do at quarterback this season is a game that I've been wrong on more than once. All
0: right. Somebody asked me a little bit earlier uh, because I talk about all the time that it's mostly negative. We've been mostly negative and, the reason being, this Colts team has been a major disappointment, one of the biggest disappointments, certainly in the NFL, uh, even beyond the Colts fan base here. Uh, and then it was explained to me by listener Patrick that I wasn't looking at the entire picture because the first three quarters on Sunday night in Dallas, really good, they were close, and then the bottom fell out with a 33 points given up in the fourth. Um, I maintain that this Colts team is more like the fourth quarter than they were... Like the first three. You agree with that?
3: Yeah, I'd say the first three were the outliers. Yeah, I mean it's a team that's lost six of what, six of seven, five to six, something like that. Yeah, I can't yeah, I, I I would say those are the outliers. I mean you look at you know, I think if you ask a lot of people, I know Chris Chris Ballard honestly is a big believer in this, a uh, point differential is a big thing for him and kind of evaluating how good, how legit a team is over the course of the season. I think last I checked after that game on Sunday, the Colts were minus 89 in point differential. I think Houston was the only AFC team worse, and I think maybe the only other team in the NFL. I think the Colts had the second-to-worst point differential of any team in the NFL. So, um, yeah, I I, I was surprised, to be honest with you, how well they played in those first couple quarters, but I I don't think that was necessarily – a true reflection of what, you know, we're we're, we're 13 games into this. At this point, 4-8-1 to me seems pretty accurate of a record for this team. And you could probably go, you know, one of two ways with it. You know, you could look at this Colt schedule, and if, you know, you want to be uber glass half full with it, you could say, well, you know, if Hot Rod makes that kick week one and, you know, Terry McLaurin doesn't make that play against Washington and, you know, Jalen Hurts doesn't score, I mean, there's three more wins. So you could look at it, again, very glass half full, you could look at it glass half empty and say, if Chris Jones isn't an idiot, they lose to Kansas City. And if Russell Wilson looks somewhat competent on the final drive of the game, they lose to Denver. And then that Vegas ending, I mean, that easily could have gone 50-50 with Bobby O'Carrike and Foster Moreau on that third down play. So um, I think 4-8-1 and one is pretty indicative of what this football team has been this year.
0: Hey, Kev, do you think that Jeff Saturday is more of a – A coach on an interim basis that Jim Irsay wants to see longer term, the coach, or is he more, as they talked about, an evaluator to tell Jim Irsay what he may not believe if he's being told from others within that organization? What is Jeff Saturday more of right now?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. Something I've kind of gone back and forth on. I mean, I thought initially when he was hired, I thought pretty 50-50 split. Consultant slash Irsay wants to believe in it. Um, after that Raiders game, I thought it was like 90 10. Ursay really wants to believe in it. And I do think Ursay wants this to work out. I think there's, there's just that emotional pull that impacts a lot of Jim's decision making. And I, and I do think that's still there. Um, but I don't think maybe it's as much of a 1,000% guarantee that I thought it was originally. And then I still think, and it's just what well, we don't know. I mean, Jeff himself. You know, I'd be very curious to kind of put a lie detector on him and, and how he's felt now a month into this. And if this is something he wants to endure, because as much as Saturday walked into a bad situation, he also walked into a situation where he's immediately coaching his football team and practicing in games. That's a long grind from January all through training camp until you get back to, you know, those practices in season games. And that's what, I mean, that's what he loves. Um, so, I think that aspect to it, being away from your family. I mean, they're, they're grinding some long hours in you know the late winter, early spring, even when it seems like it's the off season. You know how Saturday looks at that and views it. Uh, I think is another aspect, obviously away from Irsay, um, that I'd be curious about.
0: And if we find out that Jim Mersey really did want to see Jeff Saturday as the future head coach, and this was a proving ground. I think what we're going to learn is that was a bad decision because the problem that you have right now is this team was going to be this team regardless of the replacement of Coach. You might as well have left Frank out there, which you couldn't after that New England game. I get it. But at that point, put somebody on the staff and start fresh with Jeff Saturday if you truly want him to be the longer-term coach and want the fan base to believe it. Because let's face it right now, Kev, the fan base does not believe that he is anywhere near being able to coach this team the way things have gone. And these things were going to go this direction, and I mean down the toilet, regardless of the head coach. So to me, if you really truly wanted to go, you know, against the grain or off the board or however it's described with Jeff Saturday as your future head coach, it would have been better served to do it and to make that commitment in the off season. Do you agree?
3: Yeah, I think that's pretty well put. Um, I I brought this up to Jake earlier today. There were a couple Saturday quotes on Monday that he answered questions, and if that was Frank Reich answering those questions in that way, people would be absolutely ripping him to shreds. And the explanation of Jelani Woods not playing really at all in the first couple quarters uh, called it flow of the game is what he attributed to for that. And then when asked if Matt Ryan was dealing with a shoulder issue, um, he said something to the effect of, he doesn't talk to players about their injuries. Um, Again, this is the right shoulder of your starting quarterback who's 37 years old and 15 years into the NFL and suffered the right shoulder injury, you know, a little over a month and a half ago. Um, Again, both of those answers. It's like, what in the world? You know, I don't understand the rationale behind either of those. So um, I did the honeymoon period is worn off big time. And to your point, um, it is going to be an extremely hard sell. Having said that, I think when you continue to have these sorts of results, um, I do think it's more of a reflection on what you have personnel-wise. And that, to me, is kind of the overarching theme of this season. And I've always thought that if you're going to make the move at head coach, you make the move at GM as well. I'm not saying that they'll do that. Um, I, I get a pretty tough read on the Ballard situation. But the more this team continues to struggle, lose, have similar results to what they had earlier in the season. To me, that's a reflection on your roster more than anything.
0: We know this. If the Pacers win tonight, winning three of seven out West, that's successful. Let's say they lose tonight and they win only two of the seven. Is it still a successful West Coast venture?
3: Um, No. I, I wouldn't call it a success. I would call it – a I think what you did last night or what you did Wednesday night and Golden, or Monday night, whatever night it is, um, you avoided disaster. I, I think if you would have gone one and six, that would have been a pretty disastrous road trip. Um, not only the losses, but the injuries starting to mount up with that. Um, and Duarte, obviously not playing at all. You know, Turner getting banged up. Halliburton getting banged up. McConnell out. So, you know, two and seven, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a success. I, I'd, I'd call it, you know, it's okay, um, but I mean, you just being okay is a
0: success, though, right? I mean, being okay with this group and the expectations is that yeah, yeah I mean, is that okay? Yeah, is is being point. okay a success, or have we have we broadened the horizons a little bit on the expectations here?
3: Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I probably should be a little bit more realistic into these twenty twenty two twenty twenty three expectations. Um, yeah, I mean, for a two win basketball team. It, If you want the Pacers to get kind of back out into a little bit more of a lottery mode, you would sign up for the two-and-five road trip or whatever it's going to be, uh, depending on tonight's result. So, um,
0: yeah, Nobody's even talking about that any longer now. You noticed that, right? That conversation rarely comes up any longer.
3: No, I mean, it certainly doesn't, but you look at the December schedule, and it's brutal. And then, you know, if and when you do make that initial trade, because I think we we saw it. Obviously, you won without – a lot of your big guys the other night, but your one injury, one trade to a significant name away from your death gets really, really tested uh, pretty quickly. Um, But still, in terms of the season and where you're at right now, I mean, 13 and 11 and uh, two and five on the road trip. Yeah, I guess that is an acceptable mark. I just hate to see how bad you looked in those losses. I think that's where um, I wouldn't call it a, a success in that, you know, you, you really weren't competitive for the vast, vast majority of those games. So that's probably where I've come at it from a little bit of a negative point of view.
0: Morning show co-hosts Kevin Bowen along with Jake Query, provided he's up on time. Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. That's a Thursday morning with Kevin and Query here on the fan. Kevin Bowen's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, buddy. Have at it. Hit the sack. Well, you got to watch the Pacers, then hit the sack.
3: Pacers action, yeah. Hey, I'm just glad it's eight o'clock. No more Pacific time zone games, right?
0: Got you Phoenix Phoenix is in the Pacific time zone, right?
3: I I felt like they do the weird mountain daylight what Maybe
0: they do. Maybe I they like do. That one
3: is not at ten o'clock if I looked up the schedule ah. earlier earlier. So yeah, eight o'clock tonight, man, that's gonna feel like I, Yes. Well, where we meet up after the game, that's what it's going to feel like.
0: Yeah, well, make sure that your co-host is up in the morning, or at least I'll send him a text at about 525 or so.
3: Thank you for that.
1: You got it, buddy. See you.